Okay, okay. Before we start, point of order, oh, right? Okay. I I was listening to the podcast that you did last week. Oh no. And um I was very disappointed not to be mentioned during the hoopy part, but oh, you know no. not everything can be about me. Uh, that was fine. cut that was cut actually. But I do want to mention that the knob bit that, that I stick my knob in places where I shouldn't and tell people about it is a fair cop. But you compare me to Ricky Bleeding Gervais, John. I didn't. You did. You said it's like Ricky Gervais. You said those words out of your face. Uh, that must have been another John. I, I'm pretty sure it's you. I know you sound alike, but I can tell the difference like any good mother can. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. leopard, leopard, leopard. Welcome to Beware of the Leopard, your A to Z of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm Mark Stedman, and I've decided I shall go mad. I'm John Bounds, and can I sit on your lap, please? Count the heads, I'm Danny Smith. <laughs> Before we continue along the H section of the guide, I just wanted to make mention of a blog post that you can find linked in the show notes and at btlpodcast.com. Each of us wrote about our first encounters with Douglas Adams' universe and what his work has meant to us, so uh, do check it out. But uh, before... All right, let's crack on and uh, look at some Ape Descendants. One of the things Ford Prefect had always found hardest to understand about human beings was the habit of continually stating and repeating the obvious, as in, it's a nice day, or you're very tall, or oh dear, you seem to have fallen down a 30-foot well, are you all right? Danny, what do you think of Ford's theory that if we don't state the obvious, our brains start working? Okay, right, let's break this down. The statements that they're made, what do they have in common? Um, Not that they're obvious, okay. Because we we know they're sure. obvious. What, what what's unsaid that um that they have in common? Ooh, it it's that they're said to strangers. Yes, yes, okay. Right now, they, those statements are said to strangers because people are trying to make contact. They're trying to reach out to another person and start a conversation. Now, the the best way to start a conversation, believe it or not, isn't to say something immediately controversial or (laughs) thought-provoking. Let's do a little role play. Right. Mark, right? You be a person at the bus stop, and I'll be another person at the bus stop. I think I can do this. Right. Right. So I'm standing at the bus stop, right? 40 years of method, I I could probably do it as well. Uh, You'll have a go in a minute, right? Okay. Okay, right. Stand at the bus stop. yeah, nice weather, isn't it? Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was nicer yesterday, but it's okay today, isn't it? Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, mm. let's enter into a conversation about said weather. Mm. Right, that's how humans interact. Sure. Right now, now, John, you can be the other person. <laughs> am I also at the bus stop? You're you're at a different bus stop, and I am. Let's say I'm the same person. Is it okay? So you've, got, you've got quite a long journey in it. Like I was going to say, you, are you having trouble catching buses? Is, is it difficult for you to stay on one bus for more than uh, a certain period of time? It was. It was. It's a different morning. Why am I not at the same bus stop? Am I not carrying? Am I not going along the same route? I'm a bit late today. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. All right. So, so John's got a different schedule. That's good. Yeah. Okay. You all right, mate? Do you reckon platonic truth can ever exist in a world only ever constructed of perceived reality? That's very interesting you should say that. Um, some of us would say that it was fucking taters this morning. Uh, <laughs> you see what I mean? You can only ever, like, small talk is there for a reason. I personally, I hate small talk. I hate the function of it. I just, I, I'm not that keen on it myself, but it serves a function in society. So I don't 
yeah, I don't know whether Adams meant it as a as as to be mean about small talk, or whether he just thought it was funny that if an alien ever experienced small talk, he'd go, "What the fuck are these people talking about?" Mm-hmm. Is it the function of what who a man who at certain times in his life, possibly when he just had a very successful radio series, was quite was quite confident and wouldn't have felt the need. Uh, for small talk. <laughs> Let's also not forget that he was probably quite tall as well. I do think that Douglas Adams kind of did use talk as a way to stop his brain working. So in later years, when he was <laughs> continually jetting around the world giving commencement and uh, high-profile college lectures rather than writing us writing us another book and uh, doing panel shows. Oh no, that's an awful affliction to think of what we could all achieve if we didn't spend <laughs> that time doing panel shows. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, this has been fun. <clears throat> ETLpodcast.com. We got to H before it's so our reckless self-awareness <laughs> killed us dead. <laughs> so to answer your question, no, nah, probably. Uh, and now, uh, here's a rather silly game. Hunt the Wocket is a game played on one of the worlds the guide settles on in Mostly Harmless. H2G2 actually has a rule set for a game devised by a Canadian teenager in the year 2000. Uh, That's a real thing that happened. Uh, The players are divided into red and green teams. Each team takes 20 wickets of the same colour as their team and pounds them into the field more or less randomly. They must make sure that the wickets of both colours are mixed up and not too close together. When this is done, each team goes to the opposite side of the field. Someone places the ball in the centre and so on a game happens. Um... John, have you ever made up a game? Um, I was going to say no, and then I was going to expand on my theories of why games are a bit shit. Uh, (laughs) Contests are great. Sports are great. Trials of strength, ingenuity, and knowledge are great. But games are pointless and require far too much of a sort of suspension of disbelief for me to be bothered with so um uh for example uh if you, there's a pub brand by us has got a selection of board games and i happily have a game of othello or backgammon or cards or something someone with a bit of genuine skill but uh sitting down and trying to get me to play for example the game of peterborough which is a board <laughs> game they've got there and um which is essentially the look of throwing a dice and going round, you know like monopoly and snakes and ladders and the game of life and all of those games, I just cannot be asked with it. Um, it's I just find it too hard. I don't care whether I win, so I'm bored from the very very start. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's dreadful. But I, I feel the same way about board games. It's always it's almost like admitting that one day we're all going to die, and that's all we're doing in between is kind of wasting time. It's like, do you want to occupy some time before we die? Do you want to get some dice out and, and some cardboard things and we can plod around pretending this is interesting? I did, however, when it comes to it, I did actually invent the game once. I was thinking of uh, sort of like building it up into a, a pitch and sending, uh, sending it into like, um, I don't know, MB or Parker Brothers or whatever they're called. Um, and it's basically, you'd say the name of a celebrity and say, and the rest of the people have to guess whether or not they're dead. Oh yeah, dead, dead or utree.com. Uh It's uh, it's it's a it's a game that I feel like we've uh, 
we've alluded to a few times on this podcast. It's probably much harder, uh, sort of post 2016, 2017, the supposed great years of death um, of celebrities. Yeah. But um, so you can't just say any random celebrity. Though. The, the rules would be to make it a good game. Um, you've got to like them, but not so much that you know whether or not they're dead or not. You've got to like them enough to care whether they're dead or, or not, but not so much that the surprising finding out they're dead puts a crimp on the evening. So there's a very sort of thin sort of uh, coterie of uh, celebrities uh, things that you can use for this. Um, would you like to have a quick go? I'd love to. Okay, so uh, so let's let's try uh, number one. Um, Bill Pertwee. Oh, he's dead. He's got to be dead. I don't know who Bill Pertwee is. I know... John and Sean. I don't know who Bill is, so I'm going to say He's dead. Best known for playing uh, ARP Warden Hodges in Dad's Army. Oh, surely dead. Was he? I thought. I, <laughs> wasn't that Wurzel Gummidge? <laughs> no. No, that's John. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So this, this, this has failed the first instance of whether or not you know who they are. But the reason I picked him was the, um, the whole sort of curse of Dad's Army thing. He was one of the last to die, but he is, however, dead. Uh, let's try someone you might have heard of a bit more then. Paul Shane from Heidi High. He was the fat one, right? Uh, he's got to be dead. Yeah. He, he is, actually, but only quite recently. Another thing, just a little bit, for just for uh, gender uh, equality, Neris Hughes. Who's Neris Hughes? She was one of the liver birds. And, uh, What's a liver bird? What is this thing? What are you talking about? She was in the liver birds. Don't Come say on. it again as if it's a thing. Well, Carla Lane's first comedy where the two girls shared a, uh, a flat in Liverpool. Carla Lane of Butterflies? Yeah. Uh, never heard of it. Who's also dead, by the way. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Is your game secretly Everyone's Dead? Well, no, 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 actually. <laughs> no, it's John only knows people from the 70s. There he is, isn't there? <laughs> But only people from the 70s are on that cusp of you not knowing whether they're dead or alive or not. Okay, I see I've got to uh, do a little bit more work before I take this to uh, Dragon's Den or Shark Tank or uh, <laughs> or whatever you call it these days. And now uh, to a very important VIP person. Hurling Fruit Mig founded the guide and established its fundamental principles of honesty and idealism and went bust. There followed many years of penury and heart-searching, during which he consulted friends, sat in darkened rooms in illegal states of mind, thought about this and that, fooled about with weights, and then, after a chance encounter with the holy lunching friars of Voondoon, who claimed that just as lunch was at the centre of a man's temporal day, and man's temporal day could be seen as an analogy for his spiritual life, so lunch should A, be seen as the centre of a man's spiritual life, and B, be held in jolly nice restaurants. That's not the end of the sentence. He uh, refounded the guide, laid down its fundamental principles of honesty and idealism and where you could stuff them both, and led the guide on to its first major commercial success. Danny, as a man who's started a magazine and written for others, what would be your guiding principles for a new publication? Well, if I could, um, if I could advise anyone... Um uh, on starting a magazine or or, or uh, if I could start a magazine, my fundamental number one guiding principle would be do it in the past when people actually bought magazines and they generated Oof. any sort of revenue. Oof. Oh, Danny. But that's, some magazines are doing really well, though, aren't they? Which ones? Private Eye, The Spectator. 
Yeah, maybe not much longer when their audiences die. Yeah, um, I I do write for magazines. I rarely get paid for it because there just isn't a budget to pay for writers anymore. And that is a depressing state of uh, world. There is a budget for writers. It's just writers who write listicles. But they don't get paid for it. See that? No. But I was, I've, I've actually been in sort of um, mirroring Danny. I've actually been reading a book about the history of the face. Uh, sort of um, fashion and design magazine that was uh, very oh, big in the eighties and nineties. My was fantastic. I'll read that after you. Oh yeah, it's a it's a whopper. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely read that. Is um, are you going to tell us that it was invented in the Bodleian Library? <laughs> <laughs> so, someone saw someone saw a noses and thought uh, that needs to be on her face, <laughs> and so it can be at eye height. Like a hot fucking cupboard. Yeah, like a hot cupboard. Don't have a hot cupboard, otherwise everything can <laughs> get cold. Bits. I, I, We're going over our best I've, bits. I've invented a new thing called bumpy, bumpy floor. And basically, if you want to <laughs> gradiate between levels of floors, it gets really bumpy and ascending. It's it's it's, it's a new thing. Like. Don't ever yeah. look at stairs and think that like they were invented by someone else. That was all me. Danny's bumpy floor. You just improved the slope, really. You're standing on the shoulders <laughs> of uh, giants, and then you worked out to climb up. But anyway, so the, 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 the face again. The slope. I'm not getting, the face. I'm not getting over that. <laughs> the face. So the yeah, face. So, so I haven't got very far into the book as yet, but um, there's a fantastic. <laughs> I haven't got very far into no, the conversation. There's a, very, there's a fantastic quote in the preface, which is the preface. Um, the preface. Yes, it is preface. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the face. They could have made more than that, but what it what it says is, and it says when you read the face, and this is also true about other great magazines I loved. So. Uh, the enemy in, in a certain period in the late eighties and early nineties. Your Sinclair at a certain period of time. Um, even uh, Heat before it went all celebrity um, uh, cellulite uh, close-ups was quite a, a great, good magazine. But what it tells you about it, the quote is, and it says, "Whenever you read the, the face, uh, you found out an awful lot about one thing." that you now knew loads about, but you also found a hundred new things that you knew nothing about that you were desperate to research. And that's, um, I think part, this is probably one of the real problems that magazines and stuff have, particularly magazines that review stuff in this day and age. It's all too bloody easy. You um, couldn't learn about, you couldn't read one little article about, for example, Nick Drake or The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and have, essentially no way of finding out mm. it's um maybe it was a function of that or maybe it's just a function that that sort of magazine writing can't make any money anymore i i, I don't know i and, and and i'm now just discovering that the face was a magazine yeah. <laughs> there is definitely something in um curation rather than creation uh, still being important we we're desperate for new content but uh, like why isn't curation a bigger thing? Because everybody guessed that it would be uh, with the internet, and, and it's, it's not so much. We don't really have tastemakers anymore. We just have trends and not trends. I think the, the way I look at it is that I think we are, as a society, we are giving in to our, I don't want to say like baser instincts, but we're taking more shortcuts. We don't go for the slightly edgier or harder to read stuff 
because there is easy, easier stuff available now. And it's being made by people who know that that's kind of what the brain wants. It wants snacks. Like the brain, like our, our, our sort of uh, neurons are fired up by these little snacky bits of titillating information or tidbits or factoids and little stuff like that, things that can be said in, you know, 240 characters um, or however many it is. Uh, so, like, I, I think the reason it doesn't exist is, and and I think it's easy for us to say that society's gone, you know, down the down the toilet. No one reads this stuff anymore. Or, like, this is why journalism's dying or whatever. And it's I, I think it's because there aren't enough, like, as much as there's, I would say, probably a lot problematic about the likes of Lord Reith, uh, who, for those who don't know, was the uh, father of the BBC. Mark, dead or you? Lord Reith, dead or you tree? Oh, God, if he's, I mean, dead, definitely dead, but it's it's then it's then whether or you tree, and, and given that he was at the BBC, eh. Um, <laughs> you can't libel the dead, can you? No, it's fine. Um, so he, like, his thing was um, to educate entertain or to educate inform and entertain and entertain was very much sort of the last thing on the list and to have someone with a bit of a puritanical um ideal i think is useful because if we're not reined in if we don't have someone that's like ah, 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 no 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 you you know how can you how can you have your pudding if you don't eat your meat um we ne- like we just need more companies more organizations to be able to take that role but the problem is there's because of the internet there's always going to be another one who's like oh no don't don't worry about that you can shortcut that and just get this information in the 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 bitest of size you know what i mean like we can we can come up with these ways of you know having journalistic practices that actually says you know we're not going to take the shortcuts but there's always going to be someone who will take the shortcuts and will always gravitate to that because it's slightly easier so I'm wondering, I sort of agree with you, Mark, but I'm also thinking that... I'm not entirely sure I made a point. No, no, you, you did, you did, you did. You made a, a very eloquent point about um, that thing they said after the um, end of the Civil War. So you can chop off as many uh, heads of kings as you like, but there's always a king. There's always someone in line oh, yeah. of succession. Yeah. So you can, you, can, uh, you can tighten the principles of all different types of publications, but there will always be, these days, someone with the lowest common denominator. But... What I was what I was going to say is that um, I used to trust books when I was a kid, not fiction books. I didn't necessarily believe they were true, <laughs> but I used to. Used, if something was in a book, it was true, mm-hmm. right? And then I got a job in publishing, <laughs> and I found out essentially that when deadlines approaching, you will print any old chart. You haven't got time to check it. So there are plenty of things in books that aren't true. It's like when um, you event when you make friends with a with a doctor and found out that either they're completely fallible and quite often stealing the drugs from the drug cabinet and oh, yes. bigger piss heads bigger piss heads than 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 any of you. So oh, yes. I wonder I wonder if the sort of um what the internet has done perhaps is uh more, more sort of lifted the uh the skirts and shown access to the sausage machine. Um <laughs> To mix a dreadful... Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I also think that when when you're talking about lowest common denominator, you're talking about, like, what I see low, lowest common denominator is, like, upbeat, press-release-sounding things that have no real opinion to them. 
So that there is a, there's a huge market, obviously, in saying something that will upset people and get people to read it. But those people are polemic on purpose, and you're you, like no one ever really trusts their opinion unless they agree absolute with uh, absolutely with them. But there used to be journalists that would say honest things about things that they did and didn't like, and people would triangulate their tastes through them. Absolutely. So, and, and I don't think that's that's about much anymore. Like, that there's a few online things that do it. The quietest do it. Um, there's a couple more, but ev- ev- like everyone's so press release, either press releasey or fire and brimstone. This is like this is the worst thing ever, and Jews probably did it. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. Like, I to to you know drive it away for once um, from, from Jews. I think I like I can look at it even as. Um, I remember the the old film, you know, whatever the year is. So in the UK, we have these film programs, you know, film 2018. Uh, and I started watching bits and pieces when Jonathan Ross presented them because I wasn't the biggest fan of his, but I knew he was a fan of things. And, uh, you know, he talked about his fandoms and that, you know, he had a geeky side and he was, he, you know, he, he had a taste and it was something that I could triangulate myself off of. And so when he was on film four, uh, or, or you know, film back then, two thousand and four or whatever it was, and I'd watch him talk about a film, I would I would go, okay, well I know the kind of things he tends to like, so I can gauge off that. And then Claudia Winkleman took over, and I sort of went, well, she's not anything really. She's a very very competent TV presenter, and that's it. She's not a, another thing. And so it was. It was very difficult then to sort of carry on with the program because I didn't. I didn't have anything to go off because she's not a, an opinion. She doesn't really have one because she's a, you know, a quirky, funny TV presenter, and that's kind of what she does. So, you do, do you think she really doesn't have opinions, or the way the program is structured doesn't mean? They oh, I'm, come sh- out? I'm certain she has them, and I'm sure she has taste, but I've, nothing that I've ever seen of her demonstrates that like when when i saw you know jonathan ross and maybe it's because he was given a platform for a longer time and and or he's his particular brand of whatever that whether it was on his old radio show or when he was on that old sport show and obviously when he had his own chat show uh you know there, there was there was a lot of ross for a time there um and you got to sort of understand what he thought about certain things, and so when he was doing the film show, you you got to use those inf- those, those plot points, you know, the things to actually plot out. Um, whereas Winkleman was just on being kind of t- just being TV, just sort of being the telly, and not really being any anything more than two dimensional. And I don't think that's anything to do with um, the fact that you know she happens to be a woman. I think that you know there are plenty of men like. Rob Beckett is a comedian that's on TV at the moment, and I don't understand why because he just looks like a sports pundit, and that's all he seems to be. Like apparently he's a stand-up comic, but he's just this bland set of teeth. And I, 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 you know, all of all of that to say, like I, I, I agree with you, Danny. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you why Rob Beckett's on TV all the time. Actually, oh please do. Um, the uh, BBC commissioners are apparently at the moment shit scared of not appealing to Brexit people. And not that they haven't identified Rob Beckett. They have no idea whether Rob Beckett supports or doesn't support Brexit. But they've very much identified him as someone who appeals to the Brexit uh, fans. 
as it were. They commissioned two sitcoms from the band this, this year. To be fair, they could they could get um, Farage on question time a little bit more because you know he is woefully underrepresented on that particular television program. This is true. There's um, but I, I, I think it's it's certainly true about the the sort of um, journalist. And that was, but that is that because we don't necessarily have reviews. Reviews don't work in this um, format before because it's you don't need a review because you can go and sample the thing itself really quickly so you don't need reviews in the same way it's partly that and also that um the corporations and entertainment industry has so much power now that they can control their access to that sort of stuff so if there is somebody that is vocal about um their 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 critique of different things they can easily go well no you don't get to speak for us you won't get the the uh, the exclusive access or, or the access that all the other media gets. And if you don't get the exclusive access, then you're about uh, three months behind everyone everyone else in the media. So how would this inform uh, magazine's guiding principles? Say in the past, do it uh, do, do it uh, at least 20 years ago. Do you think if a few copies of... Um, Dirty Bristow. I'm trying to think of a magazine that really was quite good but fails, so Dirty Bristow doesn't count on loaded, one of, the, loaded one of those good. I will die on that hill. Loaded at the beginning of the 90s was good it was always laddie but it it descended into something terrible and exploitative and and a bad force society but before that it was fun and interesting and had bloody good writing i wish it would come back because absolutely no one is interested in my uh 2000 word alternate timeline of carry on films from 1968 <laughs> to 19 to 2018 <laughs> that I've already bloody written. Loaded would have that in a snap, wouldn't they? Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, <clears throat> since we've ground that to a juddering halt, uh, let's go to a jolly nice place. Hyde Park gets a couple of mentions in Adam's work as a place in which Trillian does a rather startling manoeuvre with a motorbike and where Arthur and Fenchurch have a nice picnic. Arthur, and thus I imagine Adams, describes Hyde Park as stunning. Have either of you been? Uh, I've been. Is it nice? Um, I've been during during the Winter Wonderland. Okay. So this is like, um, you know, every city has a German market. Yes. Um, it's like that, but... Um, Bigger and fewer sausages, smellier and more confusing with more crowds and more crime (laughs) and everything looks as if it's going to slightly collapse at any second. Um, And it's noisy and um, you probably will get pickpocketed during it. So needless to say, I absolutely love the place. (laughs) It's my happy place. I've been, I've been to, yeah, I've been to Hyde Park quite, quite a few times and parks in general aren't they? The, uh, the most wonderful gift of uh, mental and physical health that a community can gift itself. Um, they're, a, they're a wonderful place, but nowadays often um, uh, ticketed and uh, full of idiots. Um, last couple of times I've been to Hyde Park, um, I've both been for gigs, so you don't really get to see a lot of the park. Um, uh, it, I went to, uh, a, this is going to age uh, me, I went to a Radio 2 uh, gig in Hyde Park a couple of years ago. <laughs> and the reason... <laughs> Radio 2 gig? The reason I went to a Radio 2 gig was... You're right in the demographic. <laughs> was it wet, wet, wet? It, we did piss down. <laughs> um, but uh, 
The line, well, the, see if you can think about why why I went. The lineup was, as far as I can remember, Paloma Faith, mm-hmm. uh, Lionel Richie. Um, Did he have his massive clay head on stage? <laughs> I, I was a long way away from the stage. Uh, Blondie and ELO. Ah. And it was ELO's first gig for about 20 years, oh, which wow. is why I, why I went to it. Yep. But the... Um, it was a the high pass, not bad venue for that sort of thing. But the um, the, the only really funny thing that happened to me was it was obviously full of lots of people that didn't really understand gigs. So while the early things were, and we were quite content to stand at the back and wander off to the a very expensive beer concessions, but it crept further and further towards the front before the main acts were coming on. So when uh, Blondie were on, fairly about I don't know twenty yards away from the stage, and someone had. Uh, laid out a picnic, a picnic blanket <laughs> on the floor, and was quite annoyed when I stood on it. Hmm. Yeah, and they and it's a, or stood in front of it. More is the point. Nearest the stage. I'm st- I'm sitting here. Uh, I will wait. Wait till you see what happens when ELO come on, and that and uh, fifty thousand drunk, fat, bald, middle aged brothers <laughs> rush the stage. <laughs> Uh, we, sh- we should we should uh, uh, we should um, refer to uh, to the band as the proper name, which is Jeff Lynn's Earlo, which it was at the time. Oh yes, yes. No, no one else is. Instead, um, you just made a Stephen Fry searching for the word sound, which is fucking delightful. Uh, if I must, uh, 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 I think I was globbering. <laughs> oh, cool. So I part then. Thumbs up. A plus would park again. <laughs> And from nature, we turn back to technology. The IdentiEase encodes every single piece of information about you, your body and your life into one all-purpose machine-readable card that you could carry around in your wallet and therefore represented technology's greatest triumph to date over both itself and plain common sense. It was invented because uh, of the many ways in which people have to prove their identity – John, just how prescient do you think Adams was? I think very uh, prescient indeed. And also, it's even though one can see the inherent flaws in the plan, it sounds like a really good idea because I can tell you a couple of uh, reasons in the past few years when I would really have liked one. Uh, so uh, one of the first times I went to um, America, I uh, landed at uh, – JFK, I think, uh, walking through, and the, the American customs is quite scary. American passport control or whatever, it's quite scary. Yeah. And um, they, uh, I w- walked up, walked up to it, and um, they, I was talking to the the guy. I hear on business or pleasure. Have you filled in the the, the card that says um, whether or not you're uh, you're a member of the Communist Party and whether or not you uh, tend to overthrow the government and do not write purpose of visit and all that, but. Um, so uh, he said, uh, "Come, come closer." And they've got one. Of, they've got sort of a camera on a stick. Yes. Now I thought, I thought the Americans were uh, a little bit further ahead in technology than us. And oh, this was no. an iris <laughs> iris recognition camera. Oh, John! I went up and stuck my eye right. On um, and the, the, actually, the guy did crack a smile. He said, come around here. This is what you look like to the United States, he said. Uh, One big eye! <laughs> the residents are on tour. But, um, but and recently, I've been, I had to renew my passport. Did you know that you can renew your passport online these days? Did you know that? 
And did you know you can only renew your passport online? You can upload a photo. Did you know that? It's an it's amazing feat of um, <laughs> uh, technological skill. So you, you get yourself a new photo. And uh, I remember in the old days, you used to go and get a doctor to sign the back of it. Yeah. You, just go and get, you just go and get you go and get a photo. Actually, it tells you not to go to a passport machine, but to take one yourself. And then you just verify it on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. But it's... Um, <laughs> Anyway, so I, but I did. I went and took it in the machine and scanned it, which you're not meant to do, because I thought this way at least I'll get one that works. <laughs> and I uploaded it to the machine, and uh, the website said, Error cannot recognize a head in this picture. <laughs> <laughs> Dear listeners that don't know John, I've seen John's head, and it's a significant head. <laughs> That's a, that's a fair assessment. I mean, all f- in fairness, all three of us have got rather significant heads. I do struggle with hats, but yeah. I think. Uh, the, the, I think that what it was, white background, as you've got to have, yep. white hair. Oh. It was complete. It was just struggling <laughs> with where the, where the outline of it was. <laughs> but this whole identity thing, I, I, it's obviously about, and we've, we've got to balance, haven't we, sort of uh, surveillance and security and privacy and stuff. And the only thing that really worries me about all this business is the n- numerous ways that you're meant to prove your ID and yet there's no real need to prove it that you read that you know what I mean so um they're doing a voter um ID trial for the local elections that are coming up uh, where you will not be allowed to vote unless you take a photo ID mm. and uh that will it's just that's a, a bloody awful idea 3.5 million people who are registered to vote, and not forgetting everybody registered to vote, some people are scared of it, 3.5 million who are registered to vote in the UK do not have photo ID, they don't have a passport or a driving licence. And don't forget, those two things cost money. Yeah, I mean, I, I can speak as someone who, who doesn't drive. A passport is, I mean, the last time I did it was like £70. That's a significant amount of money. And in the, in the last year election, there were 44 million votes. Here's another, here's another game or quiz. Can see forty-four million votes. Can you guess how many uh, were allegedly fraudulent? Oh, it'll be what zero point zero six percent or something. Uh, maybe you can work at um, the math. Twenty-eight. <laughs> yeah, this this is so. So America has has tried this, and so far it hasn't worked. So we've decided. Well, it'll be the the Tories have decided it because it was the Republicans who who wanted to do this in in the states to stop black people from voting. So uh, yeah, and, and, and Hispanics. Yeah, it, so, it, yeah. It, it it depends what you mean by work. If if by work you mean put off poor or um, marginalised voters then it works magnificently. Yeah, if, if works, you mean like a, a fair and dem- a democratic vote, then of course not. No. <laughs> no, what I meant was I didn't think the motion passed in the States. Oh. That's what I meant. I, I, they wanted to do it. I don't think it got through. But John, I'm sure John's about to tell me. Uh, it's um, at a state level, so some states have really quite right. uh, bad voter ID and voter suppression yeah. laws and some, uh, some don't. Um, but so the concept of the identities, I, 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 it's a nice one. It's another one of Douglas's really nicely teased and pulled out bits of satire. Yes. You've, um, you essentially uh, stretch the elastic band of the truth far enough till it snaps <laughs> and becomes a, a comedy moment. But it's exactly the sort of thing we do, isn't it? The, as a society, we'll go. Oh, here's something that's really complicated. We can solve. Oh, we can we can cut out that complication and. 
by cutting out, we've completely negated the thing that the complicated bit was there to solve. I'm trying to think of another example now. I'm failing. I have a real life example. Um, I use <clears throat> two factor authentication uh, because I have responsibilities uh, in the various things that I do. And if any of my various accounts, if one of my various accounts were to get compromised, that could be very bad for the people on whom my uh, no no the people whose services upon which they rely anyway people use things that i make and if uh one of those accounts gets compromised then that could be trouble and so i have two factor uh, two factor authentication on all the things and what that means is you have your email address your your username and a password and then you enter that information and i mean that's behind a password manager which is good um so all the passwords are unique and they're long and they're hard to guess and, and you know, you, you can't brute force them because it would take years. So that's all good. And then you get if someone gets the password, then they have to go through the two-factor process. And what that means is entering a, a six-digit a six code, which changes every 30 seconds. You'll know this if you've entered into, into you know, um, any online banking. And if you haven't got this set up yourself, then you should do because most sites support it and it's a good thing to do. Um and so what that will usually mean is one of two things. You either get a text message, which is the least secure way of doing it, because if someone nabs your phone, they can just easily read your messages, or they use an authenticator app. And, and an authenticator app is good because um, the other problem with, with SMS is people can clone your SIM card and read your texts without getting your number. Um, whereas with an authenticator app, it is it has to be that physical device. So if you're pretty good at securing your device and you have a passcode and, you know, the retinal scan or the or the thumbprint or whatever it is, then, you know, people can't get into the authenticator app. And the the app generates the six-digit codes for you. And um, the, uh, the code is also generated on the server at the same time. And so as long as the two codes match within that 30-second window, you're in. And that's great, but it can take a little bit of time if you just want to quickly log in to just delete an email or um, download something from Dropbox. And so uh, the password manager I use, uh, where all my passwords are stored, also does the generating of codes for me, uh, the six-digit codes. So and And it's really convenient. So when I type in a username and password, if the password manager says, oh, Right, you you have two-factor authentication enabled on this site. It will automatically paste the six-digit code into the clipboard ready for me to pop it into the box, which has now basically rendered the whole point of a two-factor authentication system completely moot because I'm doing it all on the same device. Uh, now, someone very technically minded will say, oh, well, actually, it's okay because this, that, and the But at the same time, it's kind of dumb, and it's kind of a single point of failure, and it's kind of the identity ease. I rest my case. Well, that is just about it for this week. Well, in fact, it is. I mean, there's no just about. Um, it's just, that's it. Well, there's this bit. There's this bit, <laughs> and then it'll go, and then that'll be the end of the show. Um, and then there's, then there's a bit where... Um... You all accuse me of pronouncing something incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. If, if you've if you've never heard that bit of the show, dear listener, do stay till after the symbol crash at the end because you know sometimes you get a little treat. Um, if you if you want more treats, um, you can uh, find find us on Twitter. Uh, you will find John Bounds over there at Bounder. You will find Danny at Probably Drunk, and you'll find me at I Am Stedman. We will be back again next week. So until then, share. And enjoy, won't you? Share and enjoy. 
Oh, I will give you ten whole pounds if you keep that in. Uh, probably not (laughs) what would be the price what would be the price oh there's a price price, but i (laughs) i'm very interested 500 pounds really 500 pounds is that is that all don't worry danny hasn't and will never have 500 (laughs) oh oh my word ah we're hurt john but that is very very true (laughs) 